0: As we prepare to open God's Word together, let's ask Him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the living Word. To whom else can we go? For He alone has the words of eternal life. And as we listen to His Word, may Christ's Spirit write its message on our hearts and feed our souls with its nourishing truth. In this time, speak to us of eternal things so that hearing the promises of Scripture, We may hope and be lifted above all the darkness and distress of this life into the light and peace of your presence through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Please turn with me in God's Word to the book of Ruth, chapter 4. Ruth, chapter 4. You're using one of our pew Bibles. You'll find that on many of them at page uh, 285. Ruth is the eighth book of the, New, of the Old Testament. Where am I? Old Testament, uh, between Judges and 1 Samuel. Um, and so we've been considering a series in the evening through the book of Ruth, and we've come to the last chapter, Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to read the whole chapter together and consider what God's Word has to say to us. So Ruth chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own Word. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from, from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance." whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amminadab, Amminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Solomon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Um, As we've gone through this book, we've seen a lot of things uh, pictured for us, and one of the things that has occurred over and over again is expressions of blessing, people wishing blessings on one another. Uh, In the first chapter, Naomi spoke blessings over Ruth and Orpah. Um, In chapter 2, Boaz spoke blessings over his workers and over Ruth. Um, In chapter 2, Naomi blessed Boaz. Um, In chapter 3, Boaz blessed Ruth again. And now here at the end of the book, the elders and the people in the gate speak blessings for Ruth and blessings for Boaz. Um, And it's wonderful to see all these expressions of blessing, Uh, but we know that all we we can really do is hope for blessings for one another. We can't make blessings come to pass. Uh, And all these hopes and expressions of blessing find their fulfillment in the God who actually brings these blessings about, Uh, brings about all the blessings that have been spoken in this book. And 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 also not just the ones that have been hoped for, right? Blessings beyond which anyone could hope for, Uh, blessings that no one thought about when they thought about these blessings. Blessings beyond what God would do by raising up through these people and through these blessings, ultimately the king that God's people needed. Um, It's wonderful to think that you know, sort of the last word in the book of Judges is that there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Um, And the end here in the book of Ruth at the time of the judges is David, uh, the promise of the king who would come into God's people and serve his name. So there have been wonderful blessings and even more blessings beyond what the people hoped for or imagined that are brought to pass by our God. And so we want to just think tonight about the blessings that God gives as we see them laid out for us in this passage. The first thing we see is the blessing of redemption. That's the first thing I think that should attract our attention the blessing of redemption, then the blessing of remembrance, and finally the blessing of reconciliation. And that's how we want to think about this text together the blessings of redemption, remembrance, and reconciliation. Uh, The blessing of redemption. Chapter three, you might remember, was all about finding a kinsman redeemer who would be willing to redeem Ruth by marrying her and providing a resting place for her and for her mother-in-law. And we were told in that chapter that Boaz is one who qualifies as a kinsman redeemer. Um, He's able to do this, but he is not the closest kinsman redeemer. Uh, there's someone who has a better legal claim than Boaz has, and so that had kind of you know thrown a wrench into the whole story to say, okay, Boaz really wants to do this, but he can't really do it unless this other redeemer does it instead, and Boaz had resolved to go out and settle the matter immediately, and that's what we find happening here. Um, Boaz goes to find the nearer redeemer and to see if this man is going to act on his legal right or not, and that's what... Boaz does here. And so we're confronted really as this this chapter begins with two very different kinds of redeemers. Um, Boaz as a redeemer who is not the nearest one um, and this other guy who is a redeemer who is nearer than Boaz about whom we don't really know anything. Um, Boaz has, for us, become kind of a good friend throughout this story. At least I feel that way. I hope you feel that way. Um, He's one of those wonderful characters in Scripture, a true story of a real person, but we like him. We've gotten to know him. Um, He's shown himself to be a good person, um, maybe it would be a good test of how well I've preached this for to go around the room and say, what do we know about Boaz? I'm not going to do that, you can relax. Um, but it might help us, you know, to remember the kinds of things we've learned about him. Uh, we know his name, that's one of the things that the Lord tells us. Uh, Boaz means in him that is in the Lord is strength, and that's really what we've seen of him. We've seen him presented to us as a worthy man, a kind man, generous, protective, honorable, godly. And now we have this other redeemer uh, who we don't know anything about. And we talked a little bit about that last time, didn't we, about how Ruth is sort of in limbo wondering, okay, if this other guy (laughs) just claims me, does that mean I go into his house? And that, you know, as we thought about that together, what that would mean for her. And so who is this guy that we're introduced to? What do we know about him? Well, we don't really know anything about his character as we're introduced to him, and we don't even know what his name is. Um, it's interesting, the translation here says Boaz calls to him and says, friend, turn aside here. Um, in Hebrew, really woodenly translated, he says, hey, certain someone, come here. Uh, A certain one someone is the way you would translate this really woodenly out of Hebrew. Um, It's kind of the thing we do when we don't remember what people's names are. It's kind of the equivalent of saying, hey, guy, Uh, hey, chief, buddy. Um, Or in Southern California, if Boaz had been from around here, he might have called him dude. Um, But it's kind of what we don't know. One one translator interestingly said, we should just call him Mr. So-and-so. That's kind of how he addresses him. And I kind of of like that for our purposes. We have to call him something. So let's call him Mr. Mr. So-and-so. We're not even told his name. He's just a certain someone. Um, And I think that's the Holy Spirit's way of telling us, you know, this person is going to be really insignificant and forgettable. You don't really need to know his name because he's quickly in and out of the story. Um, He's not the kind of person that Boaz is. Um, he actually shows himself to be an unworthy man. We don't know anything about him when we meet him, and what we meet him and know of him is not very persuasive, uh, doesn't commend him to us. Um, he shows himself really to be rather self-centered and also kind of foolish. Um, Maybe if we were thinking of this as just you know, a love story between Boaz and Ruth, he tries to ruin it right here at the beginning by Boaz saying, look, if you, don't want to, if you want a redeemer, you can. If you don't want to, then I will. But what do you want to do? And he says, yeah, I'll redeem it. And you know, we could say, oh no, you're ruining the story. Um, but for him, you know, it's just a proposition of land. Notice how that's how Boaz presents it to him. Uh, There's a parcel of land to be redeemed. And he says, yeah, I'll I'll redeem it. That sounds good. And then Boaz says to him, of course, when you redeem the land, you'll also have to redeem the widow um, who is uh, of the family in the land. And that's sort of when he realizes then there's nothing in it for him. Right? I'll, I'll take the land, that's an opportunity for me to re- increase my real estate holdings, but when I learn that there's a widow and that any, any children that we would have and that we would raise up, the property would go to them. It wouldn't be my property. It would be the property of the family. The children, any children that we had would be the people who would inherit that land. It would really belong to them as the proper children of uh, the dead, perpetuated in their name. Um, then he's not interested Then he sees this purely as just imperiling his own inheritance. Um, And I think the Holy Spirit is not just saying, you know, this is an obligation that he'd rather not take on, Um, but he doesn't seem to show any concern for Ruth and Naomi in this, Um, that there's a widow without a husband, that there's the name of the dead to be perpetuated. Um, He doesn't really seem to give any thought for them. There's no compassion expressed for his poor relatives who've been left in this condition. Um, He seems rather self-centered. He also seems pretty foolish because he doesn't seem to consider whether Ruth would make a good wife. Uh, Just as Boaz has shown his worthiness, what has Ruth showed of herself in this story? She's shown herself to be a loving, godly, loyal, hardworking, wise, worthy woman. Um, And Mr. So-and-so here never once considers what a good wife. Ruth might make for him. Um, It's showing us that he is a self-centered and foolish person. He's not the kind of worthy man that Boaz is, who over and over again has shown himself to be both selfless and wise. Right from the beginning of the story, Boaz has been concerned with them and not with himself. He's been presented to us as someone who's done nothing but given to them. He's taken nothing from them. He hasn't owed them anything, uh, but he has given abundantly to them. Boaz has never once expressed any kind of concern about how redeeming Ruth might affect him or his own future inheritance. Um, He has acted in selfless ways throughout this story, and he's wise enough to see Ruth's worth. He said in chapter 3 that her choice of him was a kindness to him, from her. Um, He realizes that it's a privilege to be able to do this for her. It's not a duty, but a delight in his eyes. Um, It couldn't be more different how these two people are presented to us. And Boaz, as a result, is remembered forever in Scripture for his worthiness, for his selflessness, for his wisdom, for his place in the divine plan of god to bring forth a king and mr so and so fades into obscurity remembered only as a nameless selfless sandalless fool right that's that's all he does and by god doing this for us and reminding us what kind of redeemer boaz is he's giving in that a clearer picture of our lord jesus christ right we've already seen how boaz in general has been a picture of christ who is our Redeemer, and as we learn more about Him and think more about Him, we're given an even clearer picture of our Lord, who is also a selfless Redeemer. That's why we read Philippians chapter 2 as our confession of faith. It highlights, doesn't it, the fact that Jesus left everything for us, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but left his place in heaven, emptied himself of his glory, became like us, humbled himself to be not just like us, but a servant and even to death on a cross. Why did he do that? For himself? For his own interest? I know he did that because that's what we needed. His focus was on what we needed, not what it would cost him or how it would imperil him both body and soul, but to provide for us. Um, it's something wonderful to think that Jesus was willing to unite himself to our humanity, not just for the purposes of saving, but in perpetuity. Right? The divine Son of God is still both fully God and fully human. Um, it wasn't a one-time thing where he united himself to our humanity and then threw it off again and went back to glory. He's permanently united himself to us. It's our flesh and blood now that's in heaven. A resurrected, glorified human being who is also truly God. um, So that he could be the mediator that his people need. The only mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Um, It's a wonderful thing that he has done for his people. Not because he needed to do it, but because we needed it. It was a selfless act by our Savior to come and to be our Savior. And he was also wise enough to see the glory in acting on our behalf. Uh, He saw our worth and came to save us. Um, Now, maybe the Calvinist in us immediately wants to say, no, we're worthless. You can't talk about our worth. Um, What kind of Calvinist sermon is this? Um, But it's Where is our worth come from? It's not intrinsic to us. We are by nature sinners. We are by nature enemies. We are by nature children of wrath. Where is the worth that we have that Jesus sees? It's our worth in the Father's eyes. Because Jesus sees us as we are to the Father, that we are beloved by Him. Uh, That's the value that Christ puts on us, that we are loved by His Father. That's not to say that Jesus doesn't love us, clearly Jesus loves us too, but the value he puts on us is the value that we have in his father's eyes. And that was one of his missions in the world, to make us understand how we are loved by his father, Um, to come and to reveal what the father thinks of his people and why he sent his son to save them. We see something of that love revealed in Christ's high priestly prayer in John 17. In John 17, 6, Jesus says to the Father, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Right, yours they were. Jesus came to redeem those who belonged to the Father and whom the Father had given to him. And later in that prayer, he says in John seventeen twenty two to 23, the glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So the world may know that you loved them even as you loved me. That's the worth that Jesus sees in us as those who are loved by the Father, and that 's a remarkable thing that he says, isn't it, that he that we are loved even as Jesus is loved by the Father that 's where Jesus has seen our worthiness, and that 's how he was able to look past what it would cost to be a redeemer um, and be willing to pay that cost because he looked beyond what it would cost to the joy of that redemption. Right, those wonderful words of Hebrews 12 too, that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He saw the joy that would await his father, await him from his father when he got to heaven, and the joy of having all those that the father loved with him, in glory. Seeing that joy, he was able to despise the shame of the cross, to endure it, and to overcome. Uh, this is the blessing of redemption that is pictured for us here in Boaz, the wonderful blessing of a redeemer. And this passage also speaks about the blessing of remembrance. Remembrance is a blessing. Um, We see this in chapter 4 when we hear about this desire to make sure the names of the dead do not fade out. This is one of the reasons there was this plan of redemption for raising up children for the dead. We read that in verses 5 and 10. For the sake of the name of the dead. To perpetuate the name of the dead so their name would not be cut off with his inheritance. Um, there's this desire that the, these who have died would be remembered, that they would not be cut off from among the people of God, um, that their line would be perpetuated. There's this hope of the remembrance of these people. There's also hope expressed that Boaz's name would be remembered. Right, That's wonderfully expressed there in verse 11. And Then all the people who were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. Not just the dead would, the, the dead would be remembered, but the hope would be that Boaz would be remembered for what he did, that Ruth would be remembered uh, for bringing him children and filling his house. Uh, there's the hope that the name of Obed would be remembered uh, when the people are singing the praises of what has happened for Naomi, they say in verse 14. um, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name, that's Obed's name, be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. There's this hope of all these people that they would be remembered, remembered. Um, And there are many names that are also remembered in this chapter. It's interesting how many other names from the history of God's people are being remembered here. May Ruth be like Rachel and Leah who built up the house of Israel. They are being remembered here. Um, There's this hope expressed for um, them being like Tamar um, and Judah who brought forth children. The line of Perez. How often do we think about Perez? from Judah and Tamar, but there is this remembrance of those names, those people that God had brought forth children to perpetuate the lines of God's people. Um, And then there are all these names that are remembered from people um, in history. All those generations from Judah's son Perez all the way through uh, eventually to David, through Obed's son Jesse and Jesse's son David. There's all these names that are remembered as part of God's plan, and there's this hope expressed that the names of the people in our story would also be remembered, that the dead would not be forgotten, that these people would not be forgotten for their faithfulness, but that they would be remembered and honored as women in Israel. And we see here at the end where all of this is pointing us when that name that, that would really have rung out to the original audience of Ruth is mentioned. The that David would come, that the king would come through all of this. Um, There's been much hope for things to happen in this story. No one has dared to hope that all of this would lead to a king. Um, No one has dared to hope that God would bring that kind of blessedness to God's people. The actual thing that not only the family but the nation really needed, which was a king. And not just any king or a king like Saul but a king like David. And that's why these people are mentioned. That's why these people are remembered as part of the line that would bring forth that king who was such an answer to the needs and to the prayers of God's people. The king was described in Acts 13.22 when God said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. There was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Here's a king after God's own heart that did all his will. That's what God's people needed. That's what God's people needed. And all of these people in this line are remembered for that connection. For the promise to bring forth the king. And it's a wonderful thing to think about. Because there's a lot of other things the people in this list might have been remembered for. Um, there's a lot of things in this list that people might have been remembered for. Right? It was true that through Ra- Rachel and Leah, the nation was built up. But the story of Rachel and Leah in Jacob's house is a story of a dysfunctional family. Right? One wife being unloved by her husband, but bearing more children. Uh, when, when the 12 t- children of Israel are sort of pictured as coming forth, Uh, from these two women, it's a a struggle between each other. It's a sad story in some ways. Uh, Rachel feels put off because she can't bear children. Leah's bearing children, hoping this will make her husband love her. Because she knows she's not the wife he loves. And it leads to all kinds of dysfunction in the family. We're reminded that Judah bore... Judah fathered Perez through Tamar, but that's a sad story. Um, that's that's a, a story in Genesis that when we get there, we'd prefer to skip it because it's harsh and brutal. Judah is supposed to give Tamar to one of his sons after two of his sons die, refusing to bring forth children by her to honor the dead. Sort of in this exact kind of situation that Boaz is doing, and Judah refuses to give her to his son so she dresses up one day like a prostitute and he hires her and has a child by her. This is not a happy story of how Perez came into the world. Um, We're reminded that Boaz's mother was Rahab who was a prostitute and a Canaanite in Jericho who was a faithful woman through God and Ruth, Obed's mother, is a Moabite. There's all kinds of things these people may have been remembered for. And if you think I'm particularly picking on the women in the line, the men are worse, right? The men here are worse. Jacob, who was a deceiver his whole life, who stole the blessing from his brother by pretending to be his brother and deceiving his father with his mother's help, more dysfunctional family, Judah, who wanted to murder his brother Joseph and decided to sell him into slavery when that would make them more money, um, and went into the prostitute, thinking Tamar was a prostitute. Perez through Aminadab were probably all slaves in Egypt um, who were in slavery there. Nashon led Judah in the wilderness, but probably died there for his sins. Um, And Boaz comes into The picture as a half Canaanite and the son of a former prostitute. It doesn't mean these people were, you know, fatally flawed or unworthy, but there's many other things in this world we may have remembered them for. But it's a wonderful thing that heaven gives us what they should be remembered for. And what does it set them out to us with all of their problems, with all of their sin, with all of their difficulties, what are they remembered for? This was the royal line of promise. These were the people through whom God brought forth his king. At the end of the day, really doesn't it just matter what heaven thinks of us? The world might thought a lot of different things of the people in this story. Heaven saw them as the family of the king, those through whom the royal promise would be fulfilled. It should be a comfort to us because this group of people was a motley crew. And we are a motley crew. I hope that doesn't come as a surprise to you and you're not insulted to hear that. We're a motley crew. I love our church, but we're a motley crew. Right? We're every bit, a bit as much a rogues gallery as this people were. And what is the reminder to us? How does heaven look at us who have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? as part of the royal line of promise. Not those through whom the king has come, but who've come into the king's family by adoption because of what the king's son, our Lord Jesus Christ, has done. Right? This family that brought in David into the world would bring much more than David in the world. Right? Anyone reading this story, its original audience would have thought, yeah, David, David was the king we needed. That's the glorious fulfillment but it's again hard for us to read this story and read this line of promise and not think yeah david was a great king but there was a greater king that came through this line there was a king that david called lord um, and knew that god would make him both lord and christ Um, we are part of that line by god's grace to be part of the family of our lord jesus christ And when our Lord looks at us, he does not see us as we are in ourselves. He does not see worthless, ugly sinners. He sees us as part of the royal line, part of the line of promise. He sees us as he sees his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, beloved children with whom he is well pleased. That's the blessing of divine remembrance, to be remembered as Christ was in our place to be remembered by heaven in that way and the final blessing we see in this book is the blessing of reconciliation right here at the end we're reminded once again that this was the time when judges ruled when the judges ruled a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes a time of false worship and no righteousness and no justice and no peace as a result the covenant curses had fallen on god's people It was a time of national disobedience and suffering. There was a famine in the land that started this story. It was a time of personal disobedience and suffering in Naomi's family, um, dying far away from the promised land, sons marrying foreign women and dying for their sins. And the consequence was that sin had estranged Naomi from God and sin had estranged Israel from God. And that was the situation that greeted us in this book. And here at the end, we're reminded that God had a plan for reconciling them to himself, reconciling this family to himself, reconciling this nation to himself. And that's beautifully what we see here at the end of the book, Naomi's reconciliation, the Lord bringing her back to fullness Remember her complaint earlier in the book, the Lord is against me. I went away full. I came back empty. I have no hope. I have no future. There's only bitterness for me. What a different picture we see of Naomi in verses 14 through 16. What a wonderful thing is said about this little child that is born. That he is the restoration of her hope. The one who is a redeemer for her a restorer of her life, and a nourisher for her old age. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it, that she takes him into her lap and begins to care for him as his nurse. He, she cares for him in his young age, nourishing him, and he will care for her in her old age, nourishing her. Um, and not only that, it's celebrated that she has a daughter-in-law who loves her and is better than seven sons right the number of perfection. Uh, Ruth is better to her than that. She who went away full and came back empty and bitter has become full and pleasant again. Uh, this is the restoration, the reconciliation that God had worked. And again as we've said this is also the hope of the nations reconciliation in the king who would come through them who will reconcile Israel to God. God will raise him up as a king who will restore true worship and bring righteousness to the people and bring justice to the poor and to the oppressed and who will bring peace to the nation. There was no true king in Israel until David came, who was a man after God's own heart. There was reconciliation for the nation. And beyond anyone's wildest dreams, there was the hope of reconciliation for the world. Because through this line would come the Lord Jesus Christ who would reconcile the world to God. Uh, That's the good news that Paul celebrates in 2 Corinthians 5. In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's hope because God is a reconciling God. God is a God who brings his people near again, that they experience the blessings of that reconciliation. So we can praise God for all the blessings we see in this book. Blessings to Naomi and to Ruth and to Boaz and blessings to us. Redemption, remembrance, reconciliation through Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer and our king and our Lord. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this little book that does so much to show us Christ and show us our hope. We thank you for showing us the book that began so um, so darkly with so much curse and difficulty and death. And we thank you that it ends with so much life and hope that indeed this is the story of your people, that we begin As sinners without hope in this world apart from your saving grace and that you have reconciled us to you in Christ, we pray you would continue to help us proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We thank you for Christ, our Redeemer, who was willing to come and do what was necessary that we might experience the blessings of redemption and reconciliation and that we might be remembered not as sinners and rebels against you but as your dearly loved children, as sons of our fa- and daughters of our Father in heaven, and as brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. Receive our thanks, Lord, and help us to live in gratitude and serve you always. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.